Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So um, the last time uh, I was here talking, we um, started to talk about the subject of delusion. Uh, in Buddhism, we look at um, these three um, difficulties that we all have, uh, greed, hatred, and delusion, the Buddha talks about. And um, we're asked in practice to notice the arising and passing of these states. So we started on talking about what is delusion? What did the Buddha mean? And I wanted to continue that talk today and talk about some other elements um, and um, look at it from another perspective. Along with that, um, the Buddha also talked about the divine abode, this beautiful state of equanimity. And that's the ability to find stillness and balance, equipoise in the storm in difficulties, to really maintain calm and not get caught up with these big tidal waves of, of life that come at us, no matter what we're doing, who we are, where we are, there'll always be a big challenge or a big tidal wave, either internally with um, desire or aversion or externally with an external difficulty. So. Um, I still want to stay on that topic of finding equanimity. What is it? And how do we find it knowing when, that inevitably all of us operate with some qualities of delusion? So, um, so we'll start there, see where it goes. So basically, um, in Buddhism, it's really believed that we're all born with a certain amount of delusion and ignorance. It's built in, and it's hardwired. And it's really about um, just how our brain operates, even the evolutionary drives, how they show up um, in keeping us uh, surviving as a race, as a species, and as an individual. So we're just born with distortions of mind and perception. And we, we actually um, live in some confusion. Not necessarily bad news entirely. Um, and, and a lot of it, again, it's brain, it's hardwired, it's culture, um, a lot of things beyond our control. And just the recognizing, the knowing of this, and really seeing it for what, for what it is can be freeing and lead us down that path to equanimity. So um, here's some of the ways we get confused. Um, we look for no change in constant changing things, right, and impermanence. We're always trying to hold on to what we can't hold on to because everything changes. Um, we're looking for sense pleasures in things that ultimately create suffering because all things end. We can't gratify ourselves through the senses all the time. Um, we assume a self where there is no self. 
why did I get that parking ticket? What did I do to deserve this? And things of this nature along that way. And we're not going to cover that today. It's a hard one. And um, the last one I love is, um, and I hope to talk more about it, sensing the lovely in the unlovely. You know, looking for beauty and um, radiance outside of this being. Right? Looking outside for something that's essentially within. So um, in Pali, the word for delusion is moha, and the word for ignorance is avijja, fundamental confusion. Um, and, you know, we're all really doing our best. No one here isn't trying their best. But even when we do our best, um, because of these blocks in perception, we find we're tripping up and we're not getting it right. One of the teachers that I like is John Peacock, and he, <laughs> he says, you know, it's like we're born into a world without a map. They don't give you the map, right? So the first thing you do is you learn the language, right? And um, you start asking questions like, how does this work? You know, what's the nature of the universe? How do I survive? Who am I? All that. And the first people you ask that to are the people who brought you in, your parents, and, and then you ask your teachers and your church people and whoever. Um, and uh, you realize at some point that they don't have a map either, <laughs> and they don't know either. So we're kind of stuck, um, which is why a lot of people find their way to satsang and to um, Buddhism and other kinds of philosophical things. So. So here we are in this dilemma, and we all do this, I do it, putting trust in things that cannot give us what we want, right? Externalizing this sense of trust, um, making demands on people in our life to make us happy when we know in truth, right, that things and people can't make us completely happy. Um, trying to get external things to give us that sense of trust, and just that going out constantly. So, uh, and the avijja is sometimes referred to as we kind of know this. Our wise mind knows this. We all have that wise mind. Like we get it, but we don't want to get it. Um, we just don't want to know. It's almost like um, now that you can get all these things in your email box about shopping, and now that you could just press a button or two, and every day a new package could come to the door. And that's like so pleasurable. Oh, you come home from work and there's a new package. Um, it's like this constant desire for something new and shiny in our lives, right? It's so easy to slip into a new package every day, something new every day. So this is a, a Buddha's tale or story. Um, there was a, um, a snake, a crocodile, a jackal, a bird, a monkey, and a dog, all tethered to a large pole in the middle of this big meadow. And um, each animal uh, is pulling at the pole, just pulling, pulling, trying to get away to its own feeding ground, the place where it can survive and get food. The snake wants to crawl under a rock and wait for a rat. And the jackal wants to run into the field and look for prey. And the bird wants to go up and, and, and um, 
fly and eat grass or whatever birds do. And um, each one is trying to dominate the other, pull the poles to go their way, to where the pole almost snaps. And yet um, each one is moving in this different direction. And our minds are a lot like that story, where um, we, um, without the mindfulness and the awareness and the looking back, the desires are endless, and they're all over the place in any given day. There's that wanting, 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 wanting mind. Um, and it's going in many directions, you know, and I notice that in myself, um, in any given day, there's a desire to work long hours and be the perfect employee, and then there's a desire to go to the gym and have this great, robust, healthy body, you know, with muscle, right? And then there's this desire to be a great mom and cook a good dinner for the family, right? And it just goes on and on and on. And then there's this desire to uh, do absolutely nothing, be nothing. And if we're pulled in different directions, and that's where um, the agitation comes from, the stirred up mind, that tense mind. And that's where a lot of the suffering comes from. And maybe you've experienced these pulls in your life. Um, the pull to make others happy and be loved, the pull to make yourself happy, right? The pull to um, do volunteer work, the pull to do nothing at all, to be greedy and ask for something or just ask. And we're always pulled like that. And um, the equanimity actually comes from the wisdom of seeing where desire takes us and how we believe getting the next thing will make it all better, and it inevitably makes it better for a while, doesn't make it better for long. But it also comes from the mindfulness practice of um, pulling the mind back, bringing the mind back to the object in meditation, which is generally the breath. And you can do that for a moment even now as we speak. Um, and just coming back and centering and anchoring, dropping, releasing, loosening that sense desire. So each animal is like, um, in this story, is a sense desire. We, we desire through our senses, whether it's touch, seeing, hearing, tasting, looking is a big one, um, and the mind, the mind generating thoughts and generating fantasies and generating ideas. Um, so each animal represents a sense door that we always, always can get lost in and lose that sense of balance and ease. So, um, let's see. So this is why the meditation practice leads us to that equanimity. Because when we anchor the mind and still the mind, get some discipline in the mind, tethered to the breath, to mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of present moment. We're not losing ourselves and leaking out through all these sense doors of things we want and believing the next thing will give it to us. Um, and when we're in that state, we remain hungry. We're like the hungry ghost, waiting for the next person, conversation, event, Thing, object, change in some way that I look to make it fill us, 
You know, we run on empty, looking for a way to fill us. And um, it leads us into a lot of acquiring lack and acquisition. And the Pali word for this is, of course, craving, tanha. And this is what creates that sense of self. So um, an example of this, I want to give you a couple of examples. I actually, you might be hearing this and thinking that on some level that this craving and desire are negative things. Does it feel that way? Oh, this is bad. You know, I, it's bad I want that new necklace and it's bad I want to go eat at that great restaurant and then I want to go to that concert and call my friend. I mean, these are all wonderful life-preserving things and, and we deserve to enjoy life and have wonderful things in our lives. And I don't think that desire and craving is essentially um, bad or negative. Um, the Buddha didn't believe that we should give up everything. He gave up aestheticism, you know, where you just eat barely nothing and you don't acquire anything. He really believed in the middle path. But what I think the problem is, is this constant projecting the good stuff out here um, and believing that it's out here and not seeing the beautiful qualities that lie in here and are inherent to our nature, our Buddha nature. It's almost like this delusive trick that, that our mind plays on us. And by being so busy out there and preoccupied out there with what could fill us, we lose the brilliant light, the beauty of what's right here now without looking anywhere or going anywhere. And um, this um, Buddhist teacher named Chinul um, is the founder of Korean Zen. 1150, around 1150, he um, wrote this um, book in these studies, and it's called Tracing Back Your Radiance. And he, he literally talks about that, of finding that desire that's coming up and pulling at you, really pulling, pulling like a wild horse, or, or a slight desire. And rather than bringing your attention out to grab it as an object, um, tracing it back, mind on mind, and pulling it back to its origin to see the beauty and brilliance of that thought as it dissolves in emptiness in this natural state of radiance and beauty. It's like we just have this beautiful inner light, but it's obscured by this attention out here all the time. So I remember once sitting with... Um, a uh, young lady and young woman in therapy many years ago, and uh, she uh, she came in and very agitated, having kind of panic and anxiety, really, uh, you know, that kind of nervous energy. Have you ever experienced that? And um, we started to look at what was happening for her. And uh, it was she, she got into a new relationship with someone she really likes, someone who seems like a decent person. And he wasn't quite giving back in the way that she wanted. She wanted to just make sure he really did care about her, just make sure that he was really there, that he wasn't going to reject her. Um, and 
he just wasn't giving her the feedback loop. He wasn't doing anything wrong, but uh, you know, some bumps in the road, some, some, some you know, irritable states, some negativity, and this really um, set off her automatic nervous system that we have. This other part of our difficulties with delusion is that our body could perceive a threat when there isn't one. We go into fight, flight, or freeze very easily. Some people do from earlier trauma or earlier history or your central nervous system is wired that way. And it becomes very difficult to see clearly. It's like the mirror becomes dusty or dark. You can't see it because the body is starting to react. And so she was going into this reactivity. And as we explored it, her first relationship, you know, she um, came from an impoverished area with immigrant parents and really struggled in a very um, poor area. And the first uh, boyfriend she had was somebody who got into drugs and selling drugs, and it became a very difficult time in her life, filled with threat and discomfort. And um, her mind was going back to this partly and projecting it forward. So you can see the loop the mind can take you in of back to memory and reliving it and forward to future and projecting something worse again, back, forward, back, forward. But I'm bringing it up today because as she was sitting there talking, right, I could see that radiant beam that beautiful light in her and that sweetness, that essential quality, you know, that was just there, you know, separate of any relationship. It was just sitting there. You know, very often we see Buddha nature in others when they don't see it in themselves, right? And um, so we, we started to talk about the fact that she had this essential strength to leave something very difficult. And um, all the ways that she really moved on in her life and had the strength. And it's almost like we are the love we are looking for. We are the strength we're looking for. We are the security that we're looking for. You know, it's obscured. It's almost like turned around um, because the pointer is more out there. And as she could notice that she carried these qualities inside herself as essential nature, as Buddha nature, then the demands on this man dropped. They were gone. And so we say, you know, it is really an inside job. You trace back that radiance to the essential nature that we all have, that we all really are. Um, and I feel that desire doesn't need to get a bad rap. It just needs to be known for what it is. Mm -hmm. It's not that we're bad people if we have a, a lust or a greed or we want that piece of yummy cake or we want that promotion or we want our colleagues to respect us and think highly of us. All these things, there's, there's nothing wrong 
in any of that. Um, it's just that we don't, it, we feel it, sense it, and see it on the surface of our consciousness, and we don't go deeper. You know, it's all on the surface, arising, passing, arising, passing. And there's a way that we could know it on a deeper level. We could understand the meaning on a deeper level. Um, I always joke whenever I'm wanting that big piece of good chocolate cake, and sometimes you just want a piece of chocolate cake, but sometimes the real desire is for sweetness, right? It's for the sweetness of life. It's for the richness of life. It's not in the cake. Um, but it is in here, available in stillness, in quiet, in ease, in beingness, in being in the moment, in being with as it arises, um, in the essential nature of who we are. So it's really retraining that brain to stop fishing out there as much, you know? And when it does, not to go into aversion, um, not to get aversive about it, because it, it is what it is. You know, we are, we, 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 we're generative people. We want more, naturally. Um, but to stop and, and feel the body, feel that present moment, get into the breath, and um, look deeper, look closer at what it is you're assuming. You know, we're creating these fantasies and projections. If I have the chocolate cake, I will be happy. Yeah, I will be really happy. It's going to feel really good. You know, we tell ourselves this story, but it's, it's going underneath the mind story into what's really happening now. So I got a taste of that. Um, I'm going to tell you an experience about desire. Uh, could be a little embarrassing, but I think you'll handle it. Uh, uh, <laughs> about, I would say, over 20 years ago, I was on a yoga meditation retreat. I was really looking forward to this retreat. And um, I was just looking forward to that, getting that still mind and having the yoga workout and having time to meditate in this beautiful environment. And I got there. And um, as a teacher, a yoga teacher and a meditation teacher, I know the yoga teacher very, very well. This this young man, uh, beautiful young man, very good-looking young man. And he was teaching that kind of yoga that was very athletic and rugged. You really needed muscle and pump. And when I was younger, I really loved that kind of yoga. No more do I love that yoga. <laughs> Not going to happen. Um, and uh, the retreat started, and I, and this does happen in meditation retreats, and I think Casey could tell you, you'll, your mind will be very still and calm, like a clear pond, and you think, oh, I got it, you know, I'm just in the groove, right? And the next minute, this has happened to me in, in, on a meditation retreat, a still mind, very clear, open, and the next minute I have this image pops up of a hostess Twinkie from, from childhood, those ugly pink coconut things that sit on shelves for about five years probably, and then you eat them, they're in your lunchbox as a kid. And I remember once like just 
crazy, this Twinkie, like out of nowhere. And the sitting in the silence for hours, I have to have the Twinkie. I actually contemplated sneaking out of the retreat center, getting in my car, and searching down this pink Twinkie, you know. So things like that happen. And this time, what came up was even worse. It was more than a Twinkie, it was desire for the yoga teacher. I'm telling you, it was like I had this fantasy started coming up with this beautiful yoga teacher. And um, it was really bothering me because it was just my mind wouldn't stop. It was just all over the yoga teacher. And I was just like, what? What is going on here? What? Why is my mind doing? Do you ever feel that way with your mind? It's like, whose mind is this? <laughs> Can someone help me now? <laughs> uh, it's like, wow, the mind takes you places because it's a mind. It's not yours, essentially. Um, when we get it, you can feel a little peace, right? It's not your mind, necessarily. It's just a mind doing mind things. And this went on. I was getting kind of irritated. Like, this was not on my agenda. I came up here to be still and, you know, meditate and do a little yoga. Why am I just completely in fantasy about the yoga teacher? Um, so I think having had some time already in practice and... Um, <coughs> I kind of knew if I judge it and judge myself, I'm only going to get contracted uh, and feel really shut down. It's not going to make it better. If anything, I'll probably make the fantasy more. You know how that is? Like when you judge your desire, you, it, the desire sometimes builds like a bonfire. So I, I remember going out and leaving everybody and taking my uh, yoga mat and my cushion and going off into a more secluded area like nature and just sitting. I just said, you know what? You're going to sit. You're just going to sit. Just sit. You're not going to move. You're not going to fight it. You're just going to embrace what this desire is. right? You're just going to sit with desire and no desire as it arises. And sit, sit, and sit. Don't move. And that's the best thing sometimes we could do with a strong desire. A lot of people make mistakes at that moment. They chase their desire. And that's where bad relationships and affairs and people get hurt and addictions come from. You're chasing your desire instead of embracing your desire, facing it head on. What is this? Don't know. What is this? Don't know. Don't know. Don't know. Don't know. Sat with it. And um, this beautiful energy started to bubble up inside and really open this wide energy. Any desire, erotic desire, sexual desire, attraction desire, hungers, they have beautiful waves of energy to them when we're not stuck on labeling them or objectifying, chasing. When you turn inward, there's this beautiful wave of energy. Even anger, anger has a beautiful energy. It's just energy. It's just something coming and going. And it really started to envelop me. And um, this just beautiful, fiery energy, fiery, fiery energy, just sitting in it. And then I could feel my own ecstatic sense of being, this own being of being alive, this beautiful radiance of just being. It didn't have an object anymore. It was present but it wasn't in an image. It didn't have the image of the yoga teacher. It didn't have the image of me. It had no image. No image. It was just energy. It was just life. It was just life force. It was beautiful, sweet, 
and there was really nothing else that was needed. It was full. There's nothing to get. There's nothing to think. It was just there. And I remember um, getting up, and <laughs> my little mystical part, it's probably a coincidence. I had been there for a few hours like that, um, but I didn't quite notice that the time had passed. And um, I pulled the yoga mat, and underneath the yoga mat was a coiled snake <gasps> sitting in the sun. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful yellow coiled snake. And I'm usually terrified of snakes, but there was such stillness that I didn't even get that. You know, it was like, ah, a snake. Um, but this even unfolded a little more on the weekend. And as the days progressed of this interesting experience of why, you know, of what is this? Um, and sometimes desire, and we don't talk about this in Buddhism very much. I think we just want you to label desire and extinguish it, you know. <clears throat> but desire is a teacher like everything else. It's... It's there for a reason. It's there to be known. Um, and as I contemplated the experience, I realized that um, most of my life, I've really lived very cerebrally, intellectually, read a lot of books as a kid, um, but I wasn't very athletic or in the body, you know? And I really lived from my chin up. I really was disengaged from my physicality, from body, and I didn't have strength or muscle. It's just one of those heady kids, you know? So there was a disconnect between body and, and mind, as there is with a lot of us. Um, and I believe this teacher represented um, being grounded in body and mind, very well grounded in both really embracing both strength, physical strength and mental. Very lovely teacher. And I think the desire wasn't necessarily for the person as an object, but for the state of being connected to body, of being grounded in body and in mind. So when these desires come up, don't put yourself down or shove it away or put it in the closet uh, push it away from the psyche. Don't repress. There's no need to repress. It's embrace because there's a truth in every desire. There's a grain of truth, a beautiful truth. Um, where are we in time? Um, every desire, and you see this with um, with addictions uh, over the years as a therapist, um, working with people of terrible addictions, terrible addictions, suffered greatly, and somehow they're able to um, get a sobriety to stop the addiction. And um, the essential qualities of what drove them behind the addiction start to um, appear, with, and, and they're beautiful. You know, you, you just see these beautiful qualities that the addiction masked and covered, you know? What does an addict really want? They want to still their mind. They want to stop thinking. They want the emotional pain and suffering to go. Sounds a lot like the Buddha's path, right? <laughs> Sounds a lot like meditation, right? They want equanimity. They want to be anchored, right? more or less. They want the pain to stop. 
That's all the things we want too, right? It's essential. It's it's going tracing it back, going back to what is core to your being, your very natural state. So, um, so next time you have a big desire, trace it back to the root. Trace it all the way back till it becomes empty. And it's, see what happens, see what, what the field is for you, the field of awareness, see what the beauty is for you. Because um, you have it. We already have it. It's already there. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.